Well, we're back here on not another Philly Sports Talk show, our weekly, quasi-weekly, quasi-monthly, uh, impulsive podcast. Mike Sielski is... Do it when we feel like it. Mike Sielski is joining me. Uh, no gel on his hair, from what I can see. Not today. We are. Je- I'm on vacation this week. Gel-free week. Ooh. Okay. Are you getting double time for this, then? Uh, kind of. I hope. I hope. Um, all right. I got mouse to feed, baby. We'll let you and... Uh, we will let you and HR sh- sort that out. We are currently waiting for uh, Bob Ford, who I can only assume is trying to figure out how to turn on his computer right now. <laughs> um, the three of us He's trying to hook up the, the coupler on his TRS eighty <laughs> to uh, the payphone outside his house. Bob Ford is currently looking for the the uh, the phone jack on his computer. <laughs> Which, funny enough, Bob Ford's ring on his cell phone is actually the sound of an old dial-up modem. Nice. Which is actually very funny and very appropriate for Bob Ford. I think I might have an even better one. I was sitting at, at a, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting at an Eagles game, um, and Bob Ford and I were, were front row in the uh, in the press box, and Bob Ford's talking about how he has to, to sign in to something. I think he was trying to you know sign in to do his expenses or something like that. So he unzips his backpack and he pulls out this like trapper keeper looking thing, a binder. I mean, it looked like it looked like something it looked like something a historian would have. And he and he opens it up and there's like all sorts of like scrawlings and and loose leaf papers tucked into it. And he starts flipping in and he's like moving his finger down the lines, like reading it. Puts his reading glasses. I'm like, Bob, what are you doing? He's like, Oh, these, these are all my login infos. <laughs> so he's got a trap. You know what? Not, he's got not a... to not to date myself, but and since I'm sitting in my desk in my office at home, I can pull this out and show it to you. Um, I kind of do the same thing. Nice. So uh, it's just a single sheet. You so, somehow uh, you've there so... you go. So you've... I can't rip off too much. You somehow reduced all of our logins to a single sheet. I don't know how you did that because I have. I, I did emphasize emphasize with Bob. Um, because my God, that's like my brain when I try to remember my login information. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I had to write them down after a while. I mean, then you gotta, then you gotta like change it every yep. three weeks. And I, I think mm-hmm. my, I'm already locked out of my, my, uh, email account. Anyway, Bob and I were at the Sixers game last night. Yes. Um, well, it was the Sixers game going into it. Now I think it's probably appropriate to call it the Cavs game. Um, <laughs> Hey man, the Cavs are good. I I had not watched them this year and i know it's a small sample size but they uh they did a lot of things that gave the sixers trouble last night did you watch any of the game i I did watch the game i think it's um i think you're right with respect to um the matchup and the things that they were able to do uh to give the sixers fits um you know starting with lebron james kind of saying you know enough of this joel Embiid, ben simmons talk let me you know let me remind everyone who really, you know, runs this town, so to speak. Um, Jay-Z would have said, allow me to reintroduce myself. Yeah, exactly. My name is Humpty, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Humpty? I don't think that's what he said, but we'll... <laughs> I think that's the greatest rap song in the history of rap, though. We'll do our 90s hip-hop flashcards after this. Yeah, but it does get to what I think is an interesting part of the NBA, um, and I think we've, we've kind of sort of seen it play out a little bit early on this season, which is... Um, you know, the the varying degrees to which certain teams um, take the regular se- take every regular season game as seriously as they ought to. 
Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm as, you know, optimistic about the Sixers as anyone. They've gotten off to a terrific start. Um, you know, you've written extensively about, you know, Ben Simmons and what he can do and Embiid and what he can do and, and uh, you know, all, all good things generally all around. But we saw this with the war, this, the game the Sixers played against the Warriors, and we saw it with the game the Sixers played, you know, Monday night against the Cavs, which is to say that, you know, everybody's wondering, oh, the Warriors have lost more frequently at this point this season than they did last year, and are the, Ca- the Cavs lose six games in a row? And, look, these teams have been there and done that. And, you know, every once in a while they just, just pick a game for whatever reason to say, hey, we're going to turn it on tonight and show you what we're really all about. And the Sixers are still at the stage where they're not doing that. They're not really at the stage of doing that yet. Um, so they're they're winning games and they're playing, you know, hard and full bore every single night. But these more veteran-laden teams, these more accomplished teams, I think are kind of saying to themselves, we can kind of pick our spots to a certain degree. And it certainly seemed like LeBron on Monday night just decided, this is a spot I'm going to pick because – I know Ben Simmons. I'm kind of a buddy of his, mentor of his. Joel Embiid said what he said during the offseason. So as you said, let me kind of reintroduce myself to the rest of the league and to these youngins in particular and show them who's boss. Yeah, the Cavs now have have won. And and again, this is one game, um, and I did not watch them back when they were struggling. But but they've now won, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games in a row. Um yeah, it's hard for me to believe that there's a better team in the Eastern Conference um, yeah. than the one I saw last night, at least. And, and I'm not going to go so far as to say uh, the Cavaliers are better off without Kyrie because uh, clearly, you know, they won a title and lost another one. And, I mean, Boston looks okay right now. Yeah. But they're a different team without Kyrie. And I think that I'll be interested to see how they uh, – how they kind of evolve because they showed a lot of promise last night. They looked very, first of all, Bob Ford said this, and if, if he ever figures out how to, uh, <laughs> I think he might have the fax machine, um, uh, going on the other line, but, uh, and I'll ask him about this. If he ever figures out how to, uh, dial into our, little, our conversation, our little party call, but he said, they look like they're very well coached. And I agree. Um, they looked very, very well coached last night. Um, and that's not to take anything away from from Brett Brown, but they moved the ball better than than a LeBron led team uh, has moved the ball since I've I've been watching the Cavs. Uh, I mean, their bench was I think was a plus one hundred four combined. Yeah. Last night. Yeah. I mean, well, they... I, I, the question I would have about them moving forward is, um, and I, don't, I, I phrase that kind of. Uh, misleadingly, I don't mean to to kind of doubt them, but I think what you're getting at is the question of whether um, having two players in LeBron and Kyrie, um, you know, who you kind of have to make time for in the offense, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean they're um, both they're both ball dominant players. Exactly, exactly. And so now that one of them is gone, um, and as great as he is, he was the lesser of the two players. Um, you know, can can the offense just simply flow better? Um, you know, the Sixers don't have that issue just yet. I mean, they should be feeding Joel Embiid, you know, as much as they possibly can. But there isn't this sense of like, okay, Joel's gotten the ball three straight possessions. Now we've got to get J.J. Redick a shot or we've right. got to get Ben on, you know, getting to the hole or something like that. It's just, you know, they're kind of making it up as they go. And um, the Cavs don't have that issue. Yeah, I mean, 
and I, I just realized if, if the audio quality shifted dramatically here, I just realized I was talking into the wrong end of my condenser mic. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was not, I was not drowning myself or anything. Um, but yet the, the Cavs to me defensively, um, I think that's where they showed the most promise. I think the, I mean, the addition of Jay Crowder, I think is going to turn out to be really, really big for this team. He gave Ben Simmons all sorts of problems last night. Um, they really, one, one note that I took away and, and I'm supposed to be in the process of writing a story right now. And I think that I will be writing about this. Uh, they really took, 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 took the defense to Ben Simmons last night. You, you kind of, after the first four or five games of the season, teams have kind of sagged off him a little bit and yeah. understandably so, um, because he just won't shoot. But Simmons has also had very little trouble with that. Um, he seems to kind of take advantage of that momentum that he gets yeah. by by people sagging off of him. And last night, Jay Crowder was right up in his grill the whole night. Uh, it was kind of interesting that, uh, as expected, Simmons started out the game matching up against LeBron, uh, but but the Cavs rolled with uh, Jay Crowder um, against Simmons, and, and they kind of really – I don't know if Bron guarded Simmons at all last night. Um, yeah. But, they, but he really – Simmons really looked lost. Uh, I mean, Jay Crowder's a big, thick dude um, who has some length, and I think what you see, that, what you saw last night, w- was the argument that Simmons will need to to develop that jump shot. Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that he, he's not going to be able to go through his entire career without shooting at all from you know 16 plus feet. But like you saw, LeBron. Um, you know, I'm kind of talking stream of consciousness here, obviously, but there was like okay. a five or six possession stretch where LeBron just, LeBron just took over last night um, in the first quarter, and Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. They finally took Ben Simmons off him because, I mean, Ben Simmons for all for all his for all for all the problems that his length gives gives guys and smaller guards. Um, you know, I I think he's still learning how to guard the physicality of. I mean, obviously LeBron's a different different animal. Yeah. Um, but LeBron scored – I think he scored five straight. Uh, he went five for five with an assist in a seven-possession stretch. Um, and two of those were, were three-pointers that, you know, Simmons just wasn't close enough to him for. And I think that's – like, LeBron's not a great shooter, but he, he's got he's got enough of a shot that he'll, he'll – he can make you pay, you know, every two or three possessions if you refuse to, to face guard him and, and – I think Simmons that that would be an element that would help keep a guy like Jay Crowder off balance a little bit. Yeah, and I think you're getting at a good point about um, the NBA as a whole and why um, while you certainly should be optimistic about the Sixers and and you know that their their start is encouraging. Um, why older teams tend to win the league, you know, when you when you're talking about and again LeBron is you know the the apex of this, but even mentioning Jay Crowder like. Jay Crowder is a thicker, in a way, stronger player than Ben Simmons. And that makes the difference over the course of a season. That makes a difference over a course of a playoff series. And that's part of the reason why older teams tend to do perform better in the NBA, is that these guys um, are thicker, stronger, better overall conditioned. You know, Simmons still has growing to do. Embiid, as crazy as it sounds, you know, is not thick by any kind of stretch right. even at 72280 um you know Markel Fultz obviously once he gets healthy assuming he gets healthy um will need to put on muscle so you know those sorts of things make a difference you know Crowder can body Simmons 
in a way that that not too many guards can, and part of it is because he's just physically stronger than him. And I mean, just not the. I know this isn't a Cleveland podcast, thank God, because um, that would mean <laughs> we would have to be living in Ohio. We'll be talking about Deshaun Kaiser quite a bit. Uh, oof, oofta. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about Carson Wentz at some point um, in a little bit, but but just to go back to my my love for the Cavs team that I saw last night, <laughs> um, and, and I guess. All I had heard up until this point was how, you know, doom and gloom. Um, now, now obviously, this was before this current run. But if you look at, at, at the Cavs, they beat the Celtics in the season opener. Um, they've beaten the Bucks twice, beaten the Sixers, beaten the Wizards. Um, I mean, their losses have been the Hawks, the Nets, the Pelicans. <laughs> The, the losses have come in games where you would expect them to be disinterested. Right, exactly. Uh, um, and, yeah. and in games where LeBron kind of you know doesn't need to assert himself the way he did last night. I mean, I think LeBron, LeBron, LeBron reminded everybody last night. Uh, and again, it's redundant to talk about LeBron, but I mean, he he can just if he wants to take the ball to the to the hoop, he will take the ball to the hoop. Yeah. Um, and if that bench plays like they did last night, uh, this is going to be a tough team for really anybody to beat. Um, and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go you're gonna have to try hard to convince me that there's a better team in the Eastern Conference, Boston included, right now. Yeah, I I agree with you. And to bring it back to the Sixers, that that's one of the things that I'm really gonna be looking for as as the team continues to to develop and presumably advance and its uh, and its progression here. You know, the, part of the reason that people hold on to the 2001 season and and that Sixers team's run to the finals as much as they do. I mean, obviously, it is the best run that any Sixers team has had really since 83, since the championship in 83. But but part of the reason there's such affection for that team is how hard they played every single night. And they had to play that hard with the personnel they had, you know, whether it was pre-Matumbo trade with Theo Ratliff in the middle and Tony Kukoc in the perimeter or post-Matumbo trade where you literally had kind of one guy in Allen Iverson through whom the entire offense ran and he was, you know, five, 10 and a half and, you know, the most talented player maybe ever, um, you know, that team had to play hard every single game uh, in order to reach its potential. The Cavs don't necessarily have to do that. They did it Monday night and they've done it at times, but that gets back to my original point about the NBA is that some of these teams just kind of reach the stage where they don't have to, they can kind of, you know, you see it in San Antonio where, where Popovich just says, you know what, you know, um, uh, you know uh, Leonard and Parker and when Duncan was playing, you know, you guys are taking the night off because this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint, and we'll turn it on when we need to. Um, you know, I'm curious to see how long, if at all, it takes the Sixers to get to that point um, because at this point they're still in a stage where the crowd carries them, they're, they're – they're young and and they're trying to establish themselves and um, you know it's just it's something I'm going to be curious to see as, as things progress. Um, I'm you should see the uh, behind the scenes audio production that's going on here. Um, I can't even imagine. I am about to uh, attempt to patch Keith Pompey, the tech. Ah, okay. The uh, techno technologically proficient Keith Pompey. Um, into our conversation because I want to ask him. Maverick Carter was there last night, um, and I, I want to ask him. What, what do you think about just just as a thought experiment before we actually bring in 
an expert. Okay. What, what do you think about the notion that um, if I were to say to you, the Sixers are among the top five teams in the NBA that would make sense for LeBron to consider next year, what would you say? I would say yes. Um, I would say that's a that's a team with a lot of um, number one from a you know financial salary cap standpoint they've got a lot of room. Um, number two, it would be a place where I think he would be um, completely embraced uh, for helping make the team um, what it has not been since 1983, um, really a legitimate championship contender. I, I you know again throwing out 2001. Um, you know, because they got to the finals but were overmatched against the Lakers, and yeah. everybody kind of knew they were going to be overmatched going into it. Um, I, you know, I think it would be, I think it would be the kind of place where he would want to go. Um, you know, in terms of the environment, and you know that, that he would be playing in on a night-to-night basis. Bo, were you able to pull this off? Uh, I don't know. Um, Is it ringing? No, it's not ringing. But I saw a little. Uh, telephone icon. Yeah. Hello. Hey, hey, Keith Pompey. What's up? Awesome. Hey, Keith. Hey, what's up, brother? All right. Yeah. So get this. We were just. I just completely interrupted Mike because I was trying to figure out how to get you into the call, and you just appeared. So, welcome. Um, we were talking about. It was hard not to notice that Maverick Carter was in attendance last night. Um. Um. You know, I think a lot of Sixers fans have talked themselves into thinking that Philadelphia is a place that LeBron would seriously consider next year. Um, so I figured I'd bring in an expert to ask him that question. What do you think? Nope. Nope. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. All right. Well, I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Now, the thing is, I, I don't um, – you know, I, a lot of people say that, and I, I don't see LeBron coming here. Um, it, it will be a it will be a good a good get for the seventy sixers, but I think that uh, if he really wants to win a title and and if he wants to be on a better team, I, I think that the Lakers, to be honest with you, will be a better fit for him. Just because I believe that you know the Lakers are going to have so much cap space, Sixers will too, but the Lakers are going to have so much cap space, and I believe that Paul George is going to go there. I believe that they're going to get other players. And I think that it's going to enable LeBron to, you know, be somewhere where he can, like, look at his other ventures outside of basketball, talking about Hollywood. He's also going to be able to to learn from, you know, Magic Johnson, a guy who he has the utmost respect for in regards to life outside of basketball. Now, I understand that, uh, LeBron coming here would probably catapult the 76ers to being, if not the best team in the East, one of the top two teams in the beast, excuse me, in the East. However, when you look at a maturation standpoint from a guy like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they're going to go and take a back seat to LeBron. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's going to help. Now, it may help them as far as learning the game. But how is that going to affect them moving forward, you know, being the guy of the team, being the superstar? So I get it. It sounds great. Yes, you said Maverick Carter was there. There were a lot of Eagles in attendance. Um, You know, Rich Paul has been here all the games talking about um, 
LeBron James and Ben Simmons um, agent, mega agent. But I just don't see it, fellas. I'm sorry. I just don't. See, I'm with you. And it kind of kind of heartens me to hear that because it, 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 it sounds good from a Sixers fan's perspective, obviously. I just can't envision a scenario in which – all right. Let me put it this way. I have I have the utmost respect for what the Sixers are trying to accomplish. You know, I was a big a big supporter of Hinky. Um I think that they I think that they are on the road to somewhere right now. But like mm-hmm. everything about that organization right now in that arena, like let's be honest, it's kind of low rent, you know? Um uh, I mean from like the like from like the the arena itself and its physical capabilities to like the stuffed shells on the media buffet (laughs) like to like it smells like a junior high locker room in like half of that arena like i just can't see lebron like compared to la where you got where you have jack nicholson sitting on the sidelines you have right is jack nicholson still alive yeah yeah Yeah. all right right. um we should probably wrap this podcast up so it's still relevant. But uh, yeah. <laughs> no offense to Jack Nicholson. Love him. Um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Great. Great flick. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just hard to see, like, it's hard to see, like, LeBron setting up shop in Philly. And maybe that's, like, maybe that's maybe that's my pre- predisposed biases. Um, maybe that's, like, going to really piss a lot of people off. But I do think that there's, like, something to – uh, you know, Showtime and like Philly just is not Showtime in the NBA right now. It's not, and then you factor in, you know, if you you you, you said some things, but if you factor in the fact that his family is already living in LA, right? You mm-hmm. know, you know, so that that's something else to consider. And you know, let's face it, LeBron James and and Ben Simmons are similar players. You know. We found out last night that Ben Simmons has a long way to go to become LeBron James, but they're similar players. So with that being said, you know, is, is that going to stun his growth a little bit? You know what I mean? And then also it's like, you know, then you have Robert Covington, a guy who, who you just invested heavily in. And are you going to pay him that type of money to bring him off the bench, so mm-hmm. to speak? You know, so it's, it's just a lot. Um, it, it, it sounds great, and like you said, the Sixers want to be there. I mean, the Sixers fans, you know, want to believe it. But we learned last night that LeBron, the way that he destroyed them, it's like, do I want to come here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do, do I want to come here after I just destroyed this team? Yeah, I just think that, like, no matter what argument you make for the Sixers, there's a team that fits them better. You know what I'm saying? Like, even – all right, so let's take L.A. out of it because obviously L.A. is the, you know I, – I think I think you can make an argument against L.A. better than you can an argument for Philadelphia, and I think that – some I think people conflate the two out of wishful thinking a little bit. You know, like, all right, so, like, if I'm, if I'm like, making the argument against L.A., I say LeBron – like, L.A. is already the place where, Le, where Shaq and Kobe went to, like, win their title, right. you know? Like, clearly LeBron has – you can't get to where LeBron is without, without some ego, you know? So, like, the argument is, like, why would you want to, like, just be you've – already, you've already assembled the super team and took a, bu- a bunch of grief for that. Why would you want to, you know, why would you want to now follow in the footsteps of Shaq and Kobe, you know? And then have a super team with Paul George and allegedly Alonzo Ball. Um, 
Like, I think that, like, if you were, like, looking for an outside-the-box pick, like, you could make an argument. I think you can make just as strong an argument for, like, go to San Antonio and, like, prove that you can play with a coach that's, like, one of the best coaches. Prove that you're not, you know, like, you can make the argument, like. That, that would be interesting to me, to do that, to see if he could, you know, if he would be willing to do that. I'm just saying, like, so, so the, like, the whole argument for Philadelphia is for LeBron to kind of, like, reinvent himself a little bit. Um be the nurturer, kind of lead Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, take this kind of like, you know, I don't think it's a second-class city. I love Philly, but in the NBA, it's a second-class city um, at this point. You know, kind of like put the process on the map. Uh, I just think that there's like a lot of other – I mean, every team could benefit from LeBron James and every team at cap space, I would assume, would not turn him down. Um, I just don't see why, other than his relationship with Ben Simmons, he would he would pick – um, and Embiid's a tough player to play with too. Exactly, and and, and let, let, you know I think the Seventy Sixers will go after him. I'm going to have the cap space, and I think that we're going to hear stuff about LeBron mentioned in the Sixers because let's face it, I mean he's making what thirty million dollars a year. Like who's to say, you know, if the Sixers have thirty million, he wants thirty-two, and then he'll get it from someone else. Right. But right. but. but from what a lot of people believe, a lot of people believe that he'll take less money to go to L.A. just because he loves Magic Johnson and he wants to learn from him. And here's something else that we, we, we need to factor in that, uh, about that the Lakers. You know, we mentioned that his kids go to school out there, so LeBron has a home there. You know, in the, in the summertime, you know, uh, LeBron, Ben Simmons, a couple other guys were out there. Like LeBron goes in the summer and he trains. That's where they work out. That's where, you know, everybody talks about Cleveland, but, you know, that's where a lot of the clutch sports guys go in the summer and they do open runs at UCLA. So, and then when you think about Los Angeles, you know, Embiid lives there in the summertime. A lot of other NBA players live there. So it's kind of like a cool place for basketball right. players. Why wouldn't you want to be there year-round? And then when you factor in Philadelphia, you know, like, it's, it's going to be cold, it's this and that. It's just a lot of things. So I, I think that from a, a family standpoint, you know, I don't see his family moving to Philadelphia from Los Angeles. So, you know, that's something else to factor in. So I, I just feel like, it, it, you know, either he's going to stay at Cleveland or he's going to L.A. And it just seems like that's the, the consensus. Now, again, if you want to get clicks, if you want to do this, if you want to do that, you're going to bring up Philadelphia and people are going to eat it up. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah. Come on, yeah, Keith. But I, I just don't see it, man. I, I Keith, could be wrong. Let, let me ask you this, Keith. Do, what do you think he, he wants most? It sounds like you're saying he kind of wants comfort. You know, he wants L.A. He's already out there. He wants the chance to work with Magic. Um, you know, does he want that more than, you know, another factor that might put him in another city, whether it's Philadelphia or San Antonio, kind of a more basketball-driven factor? I mean, here's – well, just like – I think what Keith was saying is like, like, L.A. – look, if I was a basketball player, L.A. would be the place I would want to go because it's just like – it's on another level, you know? Like, you're like – every night you got – Every night you got Eagles players in the house, and like the Eagles players are sitting in the second bowl because they're not celebrity enough to be 
you know, mm. courtside. Like you got, it's just, it's warm. I mean, Southern California is awesome. I would live there in a second yeah. if I had the money. I, I, like, I get that, but, th- but that's my question is that if you don't have that in San Antonio and Philadelphia, which I acknowledge you don't, that's my question is, are we sure that LeBron values that, you know, va- values the star power of LA on a nightly basis more than he would value um, the chance to, you know, quote unquote, and I know how dubious this is, add to his legacy by doing something else in San Antonio, chasing a championship in San Antonio, playing for Popovich, doing it in Philly, doing it in Milwaukee. I don't know. I'm just, I'm throwing Milwaukee, that out. All right, Milwaukee, we're pushing a little bit. Yeah, we are pushing it with Milwaukee. This is what I yeah. think. This is what I think. When we talk about basketball, okay, so when he went to the Miami Heat, you know, I know D-Wade was down there, but that team was horrible before he went there. Right. And the next thing you know, they did they did the super team with him, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. And then it was like a who's who of, of role players who all wanted to play with him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then you know, he comes back to Cleveland, and, you know, it's Kyrie and it's, it's, it's Tristan. And then you have, you know, you know you have uh, Deion Waiters. And, and this team is, wasn't that much better, you know, than the 76ers. Well, he comes back, and then next thing you know, is a who's who of role players again, and they go to three consecutive championships. So I think that LeBron, especially with his legacy, he's not concerned with saying, I got to go to San Antonio. Right. I have to go to okay. Golden State. He knows that at the end of the day, he'll, he knows that, like, Paul George is probably going to go there, and he knows at the end of the day he's, he, he, he's such a beloved player and respected player that there are going to be other players who will take less money to go there for the chance to win the ring. Now, what I think that he really wants, and again, because I don't know, but talking to certain people around the league, what I think that he really wants is he wants to prepare himself for life after basketball. Mm -hmm. LeBron James wants to be the second coming of Magic Johnson. And what I mean by that is you have Magic who, after he retired, he was able to buy up a lot of different things he started these, you know, businesses, and now you look at him. Yes, he's the face of the Lakers, but he's also, you know, an owner in the Dodgers. Right. So Matt is paid, and, and I think that the best thing for LeBron and what LeBron thinks the best thing for him, again, I don't know. I'm just thinking what LeBron thinks is the best thing for him is why not align myself to the guy who I want to be like? I can take less money, go to L.A., but at the same time, I can, you know, make so many business ventures and learn so much from him off the court to where I'm going to be set. You know, he's a producer of certain shows right now. People are starting to do stories on him because of his shows, his documentaries. So it's one of those things where, to me, that's what LeBron wants. He knows if he goes to L.A. that that team is going to be vastly improved just because of the players who – are going to go there with him. That makes a lot of sense. So, like shifting gears, shifting gears a little bit. Um, what we learned last night was clearly that this team. Uh, I mean, I you weren't on the call, but I was. I was telling Sealski like it's hard for me to believe Boston included. There's a better team in the East right now than the Cavs. I know they struggled, but I mean that bench, uh, like Jay Crow- the, the work Jay Crowder did against Ben Simmons, like they just look like a really good team around LeBron right now, uh, and. I think that no matter where LeBron goes, you're going to have to contend with them. Um, 
you're going to have to contend with the Warriors, obviously, in the Western Conference, but then you got to contend with the Celtics. And I think what we saw last night was, like, the Sixers are still, you know, Sixers still got a lot of work to do to 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 get to, to the point where we're even talking about them being able to compete in the series with some of these teams. So, you know, assuming LeBron ends up in L.A. or Cleveland or somewhere else, Mike Sielski just left the room. Uh, I, uh... I'll be back. <laughs> Yo, Mike just Mike just stood up and left. Um, I'm watching him on Skype. Anyway, w- what do you think? So without LeBron, like, how do they get to that next level? Is it just a matter of letting Embiid, Simmons mature together? Fultz, is it Fultz, you know, becoming who he was supposed to be? Um, or is there, like, is there, like, how do you compete with, you know, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving and, and Steph and Clay and Kevin Durant and uh, Paul George and LeBron? You know, I, I think is is maturation. Like guys are going to get better, but then again, you know, they're also going to, they, they're also going to have a lot of cap space available to go out there and lure a, a, a top free agent. But the thing is, you know, the guy has to realize is whoever comes, you're going to get paid. You're going to get mm-hmm. paid a lot of money, but you have to realize this all starts with Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a certain type of player that comes in here. Now the thing is, the big question mark for the Sixers is. It will, like, who do we go after? Like, and, and I think that's great for them to start Dario Saric right now because you will have a bunch of games to, to find out if Dario and Embiid can play together. Right. You know, right now, you know, to me, it looks like whenever Dario goes up against an athletic power forward, he struggles. Mm-hmm. If the guy is quick and the guy who can play in transition. So, you know, if he continues to struggle – you know, then you may have to upgrade that position right. by going after in the stretch four who can can help you out. So I, I think that's the next step right there. And, and then also, I do agree with you. I think like you know, last night was a huge reality check. I mean, it was a measuring stick because you know we can talk about Detroit, we can talk about Boston, you could talk about the Washington Wizards, you could talk about the Houston Rockets. But the two elite teams in the NBA are the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Those are the teams that the Sixers want to be like. And right now, based on those three games, like two against Golden State and the one last night, they're a ways away. Embiid is legit. Embiid is a superstar. But it seems to me that the rest of the guys, including Ben Simmons, they still have a ways to, to go you know, to play on this elite level against those teams. Excuse me. Mike? Mike, you're back. I'm back. Sorry about that. Three cups of coffee will do that to you. <laughs> uh, can you talk so okay. I can go fill up my my my, uh, my coffee? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, but what I mean is I'm not saying that Ben – I think Ben Simmons is a great player, and he, and he's only going to get better. But what I meant is we realized yesterday that he has a ways to go before we can legitimately compare him to LeBron James. And that's only he has to learn the game. He has to play more games. And he'll be the first person to tell you. In regards to him being, you know, an elite player, in regards to him, I think, having the chance to make the all-star team, he does. But I just think that he's a ways away for us to say he's the second coming of LeBron. That's all. No, I'd agree with that. I, I think that's that's incredibly hard to argue with, um, you know. And it and it's a reminder too of how little, relatively speaking, um, how little basketball Embiid and Simmons have played. 
period. Um, you know, their, their college careers obviously were short. Um, you know, Simmons missed a year because of an injury and B missed two years because of an injury and then only played 31 games in his first year. Um, you know, I mean, there's two ways to look at it that, um, you know, a game like last night gives you an indication of, um, where the Sixers are now relative to the, the two best teams in the league, but it also, you know, could fill someone with a lot of optimism about where they might yet become, where they might yet go because Embiid and Simmons are so young and so relatively inexperienced. All right. Well, Keith, Keith, I told you, I told you 10 minutes and I lied to you a little bit, but so I'll let you go now. Uh, Mike and I will we'll probably shift our gears to Carson Wentz, but um, I'll see you on. Keith, you want to talk about the Giants? Yeah. Are you a Giants fan? I don't, they'll win the Super Bowl in 20 years. <laughs> oh, the, that team, that team's in, in, in some sorry shape. Uh, all right, yeah. Keith, thanks, man. Thanks, Keith. Um. All right. So Keith, go, look at that. Yes. Uh, well I just done. Go, I had. Well I had, done. I had to let Keith hang up because I couldn't figure out how to hang up it's on. Better, hey, if you had tried, you might have ended the podcast. So you know, we're we're good. All right. So let's talk about the Eagles for a second. Um. What has your opinion changed of them at all? I mean, given these last two weeks, I think the last time we talked about them. Was the Cowboys game, which to me that, would, the Cowboys game, that was yeah. a, that was a measuring stick game to me. Uh, regard, I mean, and again, it's one of those that probably doesn't look as good now, given the way they right. they've struggled or, or they struggled against um, the Hoosier McCollets, the Chargers. Um, yeah, but I mean, what do you, what do you think? I think I think this game is is the this is the game I've had circled. Yes. Uh, coming up here, I'm I'm flying out to Seattle on Thursday. Um, might do a little hiking, get in touch with myself. Uh, Climb up the Mount wow. Rainier and and roar at the top of my lungs. <laughs> uh, but um, I think this is this, yeah. this is the this is the game I had circled at the start of the season. Because uh, yeah, was... I would agree. I, I, to, to answer your question about the last two weeks, what has not? I, I would say I'm not surprised, but I'm impressed. Um, in that you're like Ron Burgundy. Are... Say again. You're like Ron Burgundy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I love scotch, scotchy scotch, scotch. Um, yeah, I, I uh, you know, I was not surprised that they beat the Cowboys. I was impressed that they were down at halftime, came out in the second half, and just wiped the floor with them like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed that they could fumble four times and commit 11 penalties and still walk all over a Bears team that has a pretty good defense and a pretty good running game. Um, you know, and, and the game was really never in doubt. Um, you know, you look around the rest of the league and you see – these other teams and these other games where, you know, it's, you know, they're, they're back and forth and their struggles and, um, you know, teams make big mistakes and, and, you know, you look at the Steelers struggling with the Packers and Brett Hundley on Sunday night, you see the, the Seahawks struggling with the 49ers and you kind of get more impressed by kind of just the, the, the way the Eagles are coached, um, the, the way they, come out and do what they're supposed to do um, in the way they're supposed to do it. And, uh, you know, again, I would be I would be surprised if they went up to Seattle and lost at this point. Really? Uh, yeah, I would. I would. Um, you know, just because of the way they've, they've looked, it, it, it would take a significant – to me, it would take a significant step downward 
for them to lose this game, given how they've played over the last few weeks. Really? So this, this it would still surprise me if they win. Um, okay. I mean, this is the, the, Seattle's a place where very few teams walk into um, and walk out with a victory. Uh, I, you know, and there's still look every year we write the Seattle Seahawks off. It seems in October, um, and every year they're still here. And I know this year's different um, because their their offensive line is. Uh, you know, is a new level of bad. Uh, Richard Sherman's not there. There, that that defense is looking a little bit older, even before was mm-hmm. looking a little bit older, but even before for Richard Sherman was hurt. Um, but look, this this offensive line hasn't exactly been road graders the last couple of years, and uh, you know, this is the measuring stick game. I guess is what I'm trying to say because it was almost exactly a year ago that that the Eagles walked into Seattle and. and um, you know, that was the game that removed any doubt about their flaws um, and how yeah. fatal they were. I mean, they just they yeah, couldn't they could was. not guard Doug Baldwin. Um, you know, they, they just could not – they couldn't move the ball. We're going to see how far the Eagles have come over the last year in this game, I think, more than any other. Well, I mean, the only thing I'll say in response to that is that we keep having these games. We had, you know – you and I both thought the season opener against the Redskins was a measuring stick game. Right. And if they – you know, if, and then – the Dallas game was a measuring stick game. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of willing at this point to kind of take what they're giving me. And, and um, you know, like I said, given the way they're playing, and I'm well aware of, you know, I mean, Seattle's been a measure, you know, been this kind of team for the Eagles for a couple of years now. Go back to 2014 when the Eagles wow. were 9-3 and three under Chip Kelly and were coming off a big win over the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. And the Seahawks came to Lincoln Financial Field, punched him in the mouth, and that was that. Uh, I agree with you about the game in Seattle last year um, that it kind of showed the Eagles weren't really ready for prime time. Um, but I'm willing to bet just as of now that that's shifted a little bit. And, um, you know, as I said, as tough as it is to play there, I would be surprised if the Eagles didn't go in there and win. Well, you're not. you're definitely not the only one because – the Eagles are currently five point favorites in Seattle, um, wow. which is just remarkable. Um, and again, this is a Seattle team that I know Atlanta just walked in there, and and I mean, we're, Atlanta might be the team I'd least like to fake, face at this point, but that's another topic of conversation. I mean, they 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 played well against Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's that in, that we're saying that in of, in and of itself shows you how far the Seahawks have tumbled you know since since their peak yeah. because we you know we wouldn't be we wouldn't be looking for any sort of mortal moral victory at home um out of previous year Seahawks team that being said you know it, uh, I I think I still would be surprised if they win this game I just think this is look it's hard to go 15 and 1 in the NFL um it's hard to win on the road it's hard not to have a letdown game and I know we have talked about measuring sticks and I agree at each one of these measuring sticks they've showed me something but this yeah. is this to me is kind of the, the this has always been the the I've always said if they if they go into Seattle and they win, then all bets are off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it's fair. I mean, to they just have. When's the last time this team played a balanced team? Uh, you know, I, I'm just I'm I, at this point given given how they've played, um, you know, like I said, I would be surprised. It, you know, given how they played, it would take. I mean, I just don't think it would be a big step back. Like, I don't. I think if that's an if that's 
again, we should get a bell to ring every time you use this word. But if that's the nar- if, if the Eagles go into Seattle and they lose, and the narrative the following week is that wow, this team really is not what we thought it was. I think that's that's a huge. Uh, I think that's a very Philly way to look at things. You know, I yeah. I I don't think that's I don't think it's a big step backwards if they lose. Put it that way. I know I'm kind of okay. I know I'm calling kind of walking back what I said. Uh, I think the five point line is giving me a little hesitation. Wondering if I've seen. No, I think I think for you the game is similar to the season opener with Washington. When, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I remember exactly what you said about that game, which was if they lose that game, okay, you know they're probably going to be what everybody thought they were going to be. Right. But if they win, then it says something else entirely. Exactly. And, you know, it sounds like you're you're kind of coming at the the Seattle game the same way. You know what? It's, it's scary to me that you remember what I say more than I do. Um, <laughs> but yes, now that you mentioned, I do remember saying that, and I feel the exact same way. To be honest with you. Um, look, this, I'm not downgrading on this team at all. Uh, yeah. I've, I have, I, I'm a believer. I don't think that they. Here's a question. What do you think in a Patriots Eagles Super Bowl? What do you think the line is? I think the Patriots by about three. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I would. That might be the case, but I would. I would set it as the Patriots. I think that I think the Patriots would be a, should be a heavy favorite in that game. Um, okay. Like, look, it's a weird year in the NFL, um, and it's one of those years where whoever's whoever's hottest in the playoffs, I think, gets in. And that that was the case. 2013, I think, is the the most recent. Then maybe it was 2012. Uh, with the Ravens. With the Ravens and the Niners. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say I think the Seahawks, for for all their flaws, I think they're less flawed than anybody the Eagles have faced since the Chiefs, and they lost that Chiefs game. Um, I yeah. mean, the Eagles are still a team that have ha- that lost to the best team on their schedule that they faced, unless I'm missing somebody. Um, at the yeah, I mean, if you grade best team they faced at the time that they faced them, well, yes. that's a, yeah, at the time that they faced them, like who's the second best? Like, here's the thing, like, we, I we thought that the Broncos were a measuring stick game, absolutely, and, and they <laughs> did show me something because of what they did against that defense. But in hindsight, Brock Osweiler blows, and. <laughs> Like the Broncos have not looked any better against anybody else they've played since the Eagles. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, and, in hindsight, the Chargers might be the second best team. Well, exactly. Well, so that's what I'm saying. Uh, so, so it'll be interesting to look back. I just think that put it this way: the Seahawks are the first team that they've faced with a competent quarterback and a competent defense since. Yes. Um, since the Chiefs, I would say. Yeah, I th- I think that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I mean, you can make the um, argument for Dallas, and I think Dallas remains the second, their second most impressive victory of the season. Um, San Diego might be number three, but it, like I would argue that Dallas does not have a competent defense, and I would argue that um, Dak Prescott has not been playing competently at quarterback the last month or so. Mm. Um, I mean, maybe competence not a good word. A, a top, let's say, a top ten veteran quarterback and a top half of the league defense. I mean, they just haven't faced that since since Kansas City. And you could argue they didn't face it in Kansas City. Right. Right. Yeah, with Alex Smith, certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, um, Seattle, I mean, look, you know, your point about Seattle rolling towards the end of each season is well taken. Um, you know, Washington did go up to Seattle and win. Um you know, as you said, this is not the same sort of Seattle team. You know, no Richard Sherman, no Cam Chancellor, no Earl Thomas. Um, you know, you know, like I said, I, I I just feel like the Eagles would have to fall so far 
to 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 lose to anybody at this point um that uh you know i would be surprised i just would maybe i'm being too optimistic about it but um and, and too impressed by what i've seen the last few weeks but it's hard not to be who uh who do you least want to face in the playoffs right now in the nfc the vikings probably mm-hmm. um because of that defense um would be would be at the top of that list i think the falcons could be a challenge um given their skill on the outside with Jones and Sanu um, and, and Matt Ryan, you know, still being a very good quarterback um, despite not having a particularly great season. Um, and this, I mean, the saints would be a challenge, could be a challenge too. Um, you know, I mean, the balance they have on offense, um, you know, breeze would worry me um, just cause he's so good. Um, you know, there's, I put those three right, th- right at the top. He, uh, I, I think right now, I don't know if the Vikings are the team I would least like to face, but I think that, you know, I mean, the Eagles did beat the Falcons last year. Yeah. Here's the thing about the the Saints and the the Vikings. Um, I would go into that game as as good as Doug Peterson and as impressive as Doug Peterson has been this year. I would go into each of those games probably feeling like the opponent had the coaching advantage. I would agree with that. You know, with Sean Payton and with Mike Zimmer. Um, you know, so that would be a factor for me. Well, you're, you're certainly not the only one on, on the bandwagon. Um, and look, I'm not, not, not on the bandwagon, mm-hmm. but check this out. Like this is pretty amazing to me. The, the, that five point spread, the Eagles, Eagles, according to, um, covers.com are a, uh, five point, currently a five point favorite in, in Seattle. And that is according to, to, this hastily assembled search that I performed on Pro Football Reference. This is the first time in the Russell Wilson era that the Seahawks are five-point dogs at home, and it is the first time since his rookie season that they're dogs of any sort at home. Uh, I mean, this goes back to the last time they were five-point dogs at home was November thirteenth, two 2011, the year before Russell Wilson's rookie season. I believe Pete Carroll's inaugural season as head coach perhaps Marshawn Lynch's inaugural season in the backfield uh that team was quarterbacked by Tavares Jackson um and and one Charles Q Whitehurst even even made a couple <laughs> starts um so it, it's pretty remarkable that the, that the Eagles are five point favorites uh what yeah. do you make of that I I think it, it sets up what to me is a fascinating kind of uh collective psychological experiment that's going to play out over the next, what, let's say, seven or eight weeks, um, which is to say that Philadelphia sports fans don't particularly do well when their teams are expected to be great. Um, You know, we like the plucky underdog that makes the Cinderella run, um, the Phillies kind of sort of quasi coming out of nowhere and 07 and 08, uh, particularly in 08 when they're they're not the best team in the National League, but they make it to the World Series anyway. Um, you know, we don't like the 2011 Phillies who win 102 games. And while we enjoy that season while it's going on, once the playoffs begin, um, you know, things get a little, we get a little nervous about everything. And, you know, I- I'm curious to see, A, what the reaction will be if the Eagles do lose to the Seahawks on Sunday, is it skies falling, you know, they're not as good as we thought. Um, 
But I'm even more curious to see what happens if the Eagles manage to go 15-1 and one, and everybody has them written into the Super Bowl against the Patriots or the Steelers, um, you know, come early February. Because that's, you know, that's where Philadelphia sports fans are. They're, <laughs> they're most interesting, and I think they're most panicked, is when, you know, is waiting for what's supposed to happen to be taken away from them. Did you watch that Steelers game, and what did you make of them? The one on Sunday night against the Packers? I didn't see yes. much of it. Um, I really didn't. That they're a curiosity to me. They're, they're kind of the they're the anti patriots. You know, they the, the patriots come out and are cold blooded and just you know if they make a mistake you're stunned and then they come out and just after the first four weeks of any season just dispatch everybody kind of coldly and bloodlessly. The Steelers seem to play down to their level of competition while still beating them week after week. And given the talent they have. You know, I just kind of wonder why that is. And and I think it makes for a fascinating matchup between these two teams, particularly this season, because the Steelers are loaded. And the Patriots don't have Julian Edelman, um, and everybody thought that would be a big problem for them, and it, it really hasn't been. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that matchup, assuming they meet in the playoffs. What would you set the line at on an Eagles-Pat uh, Eagles Super Bowl? I said, uh, I would say... Um, Patriots probably by three. Who would you Who would you take? I would probably take the Patriots. I would probably take the Patriots. I would just find it very hard to bet against them. Um, you know, in that game. So, what's on tap for your uh, week? Are you Are you working on anything big? Are you? I'm on I'm on vacation this week. I'm working ahead on a, a story that'll come out sometime around Christmas. Um, but, uh, this week I am, I am off from work for the most part. I'm going to go to my in-laws for a big family get together on Friday that lasts the whole weekend. Um, so it'll be fun. And you, you get to fly to Seattle on, uh, on what Thursday? I do. It's going to be fun. I like Seattle. I'm a big fan of the Pacific Northwest. It's a good town. Good eating town. Um, it's great. They got, especially like fish. Yeah. They, they have, they have wild caught salmon on the menu. Um, like at every bar, like we have wings yeah. on the menu. It's a lot healthier place, I think. I think I think you're right. Plus, um, your skin, you know, feels good because the the air is so moist. That's the, I think that's the THC, not the uh, moisture. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. All right. Well, let's uh. You know, if Bob, hopefully Bob will not show up. Um. Because we're not, not. going to be here. Text from him at about twelve o'clock, wondering what happened. I'm I'm starting to think Bob's heart was not in this podcast because I I. I've texted him multiple times, and it's like a romantic relationship. I, I'm just uh, getting ignored. Just let it go. Live in the now, Murph. Live in the now. Um. All right. Thanks, Mike. All Thanks right. for joining me. All right. You got it, Murph. Talk to you later, man. See ya.